We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. Hey, hey, hey. Good day, good day. (laughs) Guess who's here with you today? It's the Pragmatic Doulas. Well, two of us. Two out of three of the Pragmatic Doulas. Kimberly Fernandez, who's usually on the ones and twos, is not on the ones and twos. So we're taking over for her. She's got some stuff, some heavy stuff to deal with. So we are um, giving her some space so that she can deal with that stuff. Absolutely. Seems like that's just what's happening all the time. Like it's just dealing with heavy stuff, either me or you or Kim. And it goes around and around. I had my turn having to go to Nova Scotia. And we all just keep doing that thing. Yeah. You know what I, I like though is so something that people might have noticed is we're having a few more chunks of time these days where one of us is not on the podcast. And mm-hmm. I thought I would just like, you know, throw that out there to people that everything is fine with us. In fact, everything is amazing with the three of us. But mm-hmm. when we were preparing for this season, we also decided that we were really going to respect each other's spaces when things came up that were heavy for one another so that we didn't feel obligated in a negative way to show up, we, but we did feel obligated to show up for each other and yeah. express when we needed that space and have it be absolutely celebrated that you said, yeah. I can't do it right now. And that we celebrate the ability as friends and as pragmatic individuals to take that space. So you will notice that we're all together often but there will be times when one of us steps out and it's because we're respect, we're really being conscious to respect that space when we need it right now. Yeah, also births are still happening. People yeah. are still having babies and we're still going to those births. Well, some of us are, you are especially. And yeah, that's why we're recording on a Tuesday instead of recording last week because yeah. I was at a birth. Yes, yeah, it just worked out that way. I was at a client's in the morning, you were at a birth. So, so all of that, client supporting business running birth attending stuff is still going on um along with regular life and uh, yeah that's how we do it so before we get started doing anything else I have an amazing and lovely land acknowledgement to read for us today it is a little bit longer than usual so sit back and just listen for a little bit because it's very well written it's very plainly written but I love it so much. And I must give acknowledgement to the website from which I've taken it. And that is a website called fireflycreativewriting.com that I'm very intrigued to check out, by the way. Fireflycreativewriting.com. Wonderful. So here we go. Yeah. Uh, we, the Pragmatic Doulas, are incredibly grateful to have a beautiful space here in Toronto to uh, do this work, to record this podcast, and to do our birth work. Um, And as we feel that gratitude, we also grapple with it. The Pragmatic Doulas is made up of settlers. All three of us are settlers. Here on this land, as a result of a long and continued process of violence and colonization towards Indigenous people, we are committed to that grappling, to decolonizing our space and our processes, and to exploring ways to work in solidarity with Indigenous people who call this place home. So we want to start by sharing the names of the Indigenous peoples whose land our our, uh, podcast is recorded on. These are the Wendat, the Anishinaabek Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, and the Métis Nation. We also want to be clear that the treaties with European settlers aren't the first on this land. This territory was and still is the subject of the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant an agreement between the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Ojibwe and allied nations to live in peace and cooperation on this land. The quote unquote Toronto Purchase, also known as Treaty 13, which deeded this land from indigenous peoples to Europeans was and is unethical for all kinds of reasons. The amount of land claimed by Europeans exceeded the land in the agreement 
communication about the nature of land ownership was ambiguous and it's not clear whether indigenous people even actually signed the final contract or a blank contract that was later written up. And while we remember this heartbreaking chapter in our history, we also know that it's not history at all. And indigenous people in our community and beyond continue to face violence and obstacles placed by colonialism, including the Canadian government's attempt to assimilate indigenous people into dominant culture, the racism that exists in Canada today, and even basic human rights issues like lack of clean water or affordable food. This wouldn't be complete without also acknowledging the resilience of indigenous people, their cultures, languages, and communities. This is a history and political climate filled with strength survival, resilience, creativity, and power. Thank you. There's more, um, and I invite you please to go to fireflycreativewriting.com and check out that territorial acknowledgement that belongs to them that I have amended to be suitable for us here on the podcast. But I really love the way it dives into the history and is very specific in, in a plain language kind of way about what has happened and what is still going on. It goes on later on to uh, talk about things that you can do, makes recommendations for uh, organizations and books that can be read if you are interested in expanding your knowledge about how to be a part of the truth and reconciliation that is going on right now. So yeah, thank you very much for hearing me out and being patient. Thank you for looking that up and sharing that. Um, I also want to point out when, when you choose to take steps listed in the truth and reconciliation outcomes and the list of things that you can do, you're, you're not doing it just for the Indigenous people. You're doing it truly for the healing of everybody, for the healing of yourself. You, I don't even think people realize the pain, the damage we are carrying around from knowing that it was our parents, grandparents who chose to do nothing, or maybe they did choose to do something and you're carrying it on, but you making a conscious choice to heal humanity when you choose to recognize someone else's pain and do something about it. This is your chance. For sure. People talk about making, making their mark here in life, make it by helping people heal, make it by treating people with respect. Make it by just taking a step. There's a whole bunch of them there. There's a whole bunch of, of recommendations. There's, there's voting, there's donating, there's all sorts of things. Just choose one thing today. Go look it up, choose one thing. Yeah, it's like that thing where, you know, patriarchy doesn't just only hurt women. Patriarchy hurts men also. Patriarchy hurts and harms us all. So doing things to end patriarchy, <clears throat> taking steps in that, that direction, is an act of healing for all of us, not just for um, women, but it also for, for all of us, yeah. Yes, it is. You know, I, I was thinking about that patriarchy piece recently when, and I was talking to you and Kim about this, how my child, when she started experiencing anxiety and depression, um, and we shared that with the school board, or well, I took up residence in the office until they would sit down and talk to me, but in doing so, they acknowledged my daughter's anxiety and they acknowledged her depression and started creating a plan, a success plan for her. And we all worked together. Quite honestly, it was with a, a lot of pushing from me, but that's how our school system is. But then when my nephew went through the exact same thing, when mm -hmm. everything physical was ruled out, they started indicating it was a behavior, not a, pro, not a mental health issue. They're mm -hmm. saying it was, he was behaving badly, not that he was having a hard time. And mm -hmm. again, it, it took me talking with my sister-in-law and getting her the right resources to be able to bring to the board to say, this is not a behavioral issue. My son needs help and we need you to help. You're supposed yes. to be part of the support system, but this is part of that patriarchal system where boys are looked at as, as either angry or not but they can't be having a hard time. You know, they're not, they're just angry. They're not, they're just behaving poorly. No, they are stuck in the same fucked up system mm -hmm. that everybody else is that indicates boys yeah. who are struggling are having a behavior problem and they need to suck it up. Mm -hmm. 
you know? I, I, um, I actually, actually have firsthand experience with that with one of my kids. So yes, where his, his issues were not dealt with, um, appropriately and, and yeah, it was completely treated as a behavior problem. That's right. I didn't think about, about it in a, a gendered way, but yes, that's 100% true. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Patriarchy, racism, colonialism, we're all trapped in those systems. And you are not just helping Indigenous people when you break those walls down. You're actually healing yourselves too. So it's okay. It's okay to do things that help yourself also. And because they probably help all of us. Absolutely. All right. How you doing? I'm how are you doing? Except for your broken foot. <laughs> Did you know that you can break your foot on an anti-fatigue mat? Yes, you can. <laughs> anti-fatigue, but but pro-fracture. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It is anti-fatigue and pro-fracture. It was most ridiculous thing in the world, but yeah, the bone's broken. The foot's broken and they had to relocate the tip because it was still, I thought it had already popped back in, but apparently it was just the, the first, the primary bone that had popped back in, not the tip. So they had to freeze that sucker up. Can I tell you, I forgot how much local anesthetic hurts. Boy, oh boy. You mean when it, they're putting it in? It, yeah, like because it was already bruised and swollen from being broken oh. and they had to freeze it so that they could pop the tip back in. Oh my God. Good time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, have I broken a toe? I think I have broken a toe. And um, I didn't go to the hospital. I just hobbled around until it stopped hurting. Um, but it still kind of hurts. And let me tell you something that was like 15 years ago or more. And it still kind of hurts a little bit. So maybe I should have gone. Because you always think, oh, it's just a toe. They're not going to do anything. Maybe, maybe not. I just didn't want to show up again with another broken thing. I've already, I had already broken my knee and, and my foot. I'd also broken my foot, um, both of which required casting. And I just didn't want to go again because all of those things happen not too far away from each other within a few years. They would really start investigating me for some kind of thing, broken bone syndrome or something. So, yeah, I'm glad you got it fixed up. So yeah. far, quickly. <laughs> so what are you Give doing for fun? Cast. What are you doing for fun besides getting, you know, air casted? <laughs> uh, what am I doing for fun? Well, mm -mm, I'm, you know, the usual stuff like watching Netflix, reading. Uh, but I have been watching some pretty good shows <laughs> lately. I finally managed to watch nine perfect strangers which i have been dying to watch since i saw the trailer i finally watched it this weekend let me tell you how weird that it was weird very weird and strange but in another way deeply um touching and moving there were a couple of places where i bawled and yes. bawled and i you know it's that kind of show where you're like what is happening what is going on why is this like that why what and then it kind of all when you realize so this is what it's all about really oh that's dumb and then it goes deeper and deeper it's like that kind of show so if you like that kind of stuff go watch that nine perfect strangers i watched it on amazon prime so i will say I watched it when it, it was coming out one week at a time and it was driving oh. me bananas because it is so fucked up that mm. like every time you're like, what, what? And then yeah. it's like, it was over. And I'm like, I gotta wait till next Thursday. What? Yeah. I can't imagine doing that. I cannot go back to watching regular TV where things come out once a week. That's not possible. No. <laughs> it isn't possible. It yeah. made me wish I had waited for when it was all out because, so did you binge it? Did you just like rip through it yeah. in a weekend? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To. totally. It is yes. so fucked up. You can't walk away without the answers. Oh no, I could. It was like a 10 hour movie. So I just like watched it. I did take a break. 
um, on Saturday. I started on Friday night, stayed up really late, watched many, many episodes, watched a couple on Saturday and the rest on Sunday. So yeah, I, I did kind of spread it out over the weekend. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I did it that way because there's, there's something about not taking a break in between the episodes. Like you can make connections easier because you remember, oh yeah, that's the guy from last episode, last week. Yes, yes, yes. Whereas if you have a break of a week, I don't know about you people, but I'm forgetting everything. I or possibly not going back to it because it, yeah. it, it drove me crazy. It drives you crazy so much that you're like, fuck it. I can't keep going on this. Not if I have yeah. to wait a week. Yes. Yeah. And Nicole Kidman. Oh, she's fucking fantastic. She's, she, you know, she reminds me of Meryl Streep, her acting. She's so believable in, in everything she does. I mean, I don't know. I, I've seen her in three, four, three or four um, movies. And she's, she's really quite phenomenal, I think. I don't know if other people feel that way, but I think she, she did a fantastic job and she was very believable in sort of like a uh, wayfish, ethereal kind of way until you get to know her a little bit more in this, in this movie. Anyways, not, I'm not talking about other characters, but she was great. She was great. And of course I love Melissa McCarthy. Oh my goodness. Her. Yes. Always, always love her and everything. Um, and everybody was good so believable and good really believable and uh well acted I loved it I loved it a lot it stayed with me it's staying with me so that's my recommendation what have you been watching or reading I just finished kill the messenger and that was an amazing book um it is yeah, I just highly recommend you go grab it. And I would tell you the name of the author, but their name is escaping me at the moment. But it's someone who I've read constantly. It's just, it doesn't take up enough space in my brain right now for me to share it with you all. But Kill the Messenger was a great book. Really enjoyed that. Um, it sounds like, is it a thriller? Suspense yes, a kind thriller. of? Not a, not a horror, but a thriller. And a, a, lots of adventure, lots of uh, high stakes stuff. Um, so that was hugely enjoyable. I am not watching anything brand new on TV right now. My kids keep putting on fricking, uh, what's it called? Overboard or on the board or I don't know. It's about people with too much money who get on boats and they're recording how the staff are experiencing it and how the staff run the boat and everything while these uh, super rich people hop on and leave like $15,000 tips at the end of their week. I'm like, what the fuck? But Mm. uh it is, is reality TV and it's not my cup of tea, but uh, it, like if you ever want just to watch some trash TV that is so unrelatable, that's what you watch pretty much. <laughs> I do enjoy myself some Bob's Burgers if I just need a good laugh. Mm. A really well, good laugh. Well, well um, a quick book recommendation. Actually, I have not read this book yet, so it's unusual. I'm giving you a book recommendation for a book that I haven't read yet. But I'm a huge supporter of Canadian literature. And last night was the uh, award show for the Scotiabank Giller Prize for 2021. And I am, I would read Kill the Messenger if I didn't already have my, <laughs> a string of books lined up. So maybe I can add that to the end. So I don't know if I'll ever get to it. But the winner of the Scotiabank Giller Prize for 2021 is an author, not a new author, He's written several books before, but his name is Omar El-Akkad. And the name of the book that won that prize was What Strange Paradise. Sounds really good. And I'm, I've ordered it. So it's on its way. It should be here tomorrow. I, I'm not going to get to it till sometime in December. But um, that was, I loved watching that show. It was hosted by um, Paul Xiong Li from don't remember his last name but you know the dad Appa from Kim's Convenience that I love and Rupi Kaur who is an amazing poet so they hosted it and I gotta say that the award show itself was slightly awkward it was live okay fine but it felt almost like so last year it was done virtually by zoom and uh, it just felt like 
everybody's just kind of figuring out how to be together in a big room with fancy glitzy uh, clothes and, and, you know, things like that, like a fancy, fancy gathering. Everybody's kind of awkward. It felt a little bit awkward, but hopefully that's just like some COVID kinks working themselves out. So anyways, that was, it was nice. And it was short. It was an hour. It wasn't like a three hour award ceremony of the five shortlisted books. This guy came away with the Scotiabank Giller Prize. So what strange paradise by Omar El Akkad. There you go. Well, maybe I'm the only person who thinks almost every award show is awkward where they have more than one host <laughs> who are standing together. Like mm -hmm. they're separated and like at different stages or whatever, I find it's fine. But when you have two people who are in entertainment where their goal is always to show up in a certain way, there's always a little bit of competition and awkwardness because both of their styles might not meet. I'm always mm -hmm. flabbergasted by how they, they choose people to host and host together. It never, yeah. for me, it's always like, oh my God, well, one of you just shut the fuck up and hit another stage. Like it, it's not, it's not fun. It doesn't add to the experience at all. It's just like, okay, can we get to the next performer, please? Because y'all mm -hmm. are just fucking this up. Mm. Especially the Oscars. Oh my God. It wasn't that bad, but uh, it just felt a teeny tiny bit cringy. When I was committed to watching it, I watched it live stream uh, and, you know, supporting Canadian authors. And there were a lot of like famous people there. Margaret Atwood was there. Uh, Rick Mercer was there, you know, famous people like that. Um, um, but anyways, that's the beauty of live TV and live Canadian TV. So there you go. All right. Thanks then. for the recommendations. Very, very welcome. I hope you guys send in some recommendations. I'm always on the hunt for something good to watch. I watch the same movies over and over again. It brings me comfort. I love me some uh, uh -huh. Jurassic Park. Well, that's me with the TV shows. Mm -hmm. watch the same tv shows and now that seinfeld is on netflix <laughs> that's constantly playing in my house somebody's watching it at all times yeah yes all right so if we don't get to the topic like soon kim is gonna kill us when she listens to this <laughs> she's gonna be like what the fuck are they going on about <laughs> yes it's well, 25 fucking like minutes and they still haven't gotten into the meat of the podcast <laughs> Well, you know, what's the meat of the podcast is really, I almost feel like it's a rant. Every, you know, a lot of people know me as the VBAC doula. Mm -hmm. And that's nice and fine and everything like that. But what I really wanted to talk about when we said we were going to discuss VBAC today is how to be a good VBAC doula. Mm -hmm. And this comes because recently, I can, so I consult with people when they're looking for a doula when they're planning their VBAC. And I've, I've ha had quite a bit of influx in the past few months and people looking for VBAC support. And something that comes up time and again when they've spoken to somebody else is that somebody else has said, well, they can't force you to have a C-section. Mm -hmm. Please stop saying this to people. Yeah. Please stop saying this to people. And mm -hmm. here's where I'm going with this. Is Where are you going only, with this? Is the only way you can be convinced to do something through physical force. No. Mm. We are human beings. And when we're carrying a child, we are, I, I want to say we become highly intuitive, but I think we just become highly receptive to suggestion. Mm -hmm. So by automatically saying to somebody, you cannot be forced into a C-section. If they are in fact forced into a C-section by any other coercion other than mm -hmm. physical force. Just physical force, yeah. It takes away from the fact that they actually were coerced, lied to, mm -hmm. or actually needed one and you then decided on it. But you feel less than because that's where you ended up. We need to stop the message that no one can physically can force you to have a C-section because we are humans. So, so if that terminology, and I know that terminology and the words that you use when speaking to clients about different issues matters, it does matter a lot. If 
saying that, and I agree, when you say to somebody, well, nobody can force you into having a C-section, it puts images into a person's head. The image of being dragged, kicking and screaming physically into the operating room, which is highly unlikely to happen. However, that image is so dramatic. Is this what you're saying? That image is so dramatic that it it drowns out the other things that are much more possible, like coercion, like threats. Is that what you kind of getting at? Like yes, like coercion, like threats, like in like like information that is placed in front of you that almost seems reasonable, but mm -hmm. if you don't have access to the information, mm -hmm. then then you're not actually making decisions. So the questions, when, when you are speaking with somebody who is planning a VBAC, other than that statement, the statements we should be making are, or the questions we should be asking, we shouldn't be making statements, we should be asking questions or having clients ask questions. Well, what would make you feel like a cesarean would be right for you? Mm -hmm. in this situation what are those yeah. things what do you think might lead you to a cesarean that you might not want mm -hmm. okay let's look at those things often the answer is not accessing proper information from my care provider or mm -hmm. feeling alienated by a care provider when you bring information in that is the gold standard of care and your gold standard of care is not being offered mm -hmm. And then that, of course, leads to privilege. The answer, again, these broad spectrum statements, the next one that we hear is, well, leave your care provider. Okay, yes, you can be registered at a hospital, leave your care provider, and show up in labor. But the fact is, you deserve prenatal care that is free from coercion and, and free from less than gold standard of care. You deserve those things. So helping yes. a client get past that statement of just leave your provider, it's like, how can I engage my provider who is yes. not offering me evidence-based care? How can I work within the system that's happening right now? And having those real conversations, the answer to many things is not just up and leave. The answer often is, investigate more and, and i feel like and um i think this happens with other situations besides feedback that using that kind of language looks at everything in a black and white way right well why don't just leave that care provider then if they keep talking about c-section 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 just leave that care provider well what if that person so it's not all black and white is what I mean. A lot of us tend to, when we feel strongly about things, we lean in so hard on one side. And then when we speak to clients, we give the impression everybody's against you. Everybody's an ogre. You have to completely defend yourself. Um, you're, you have to fight tooth and nail for everything that you want, which isn't necessarily always untrue. Correct. However, However, it is perfectly possible to have a client who wants to have a VBAC, their doctor is leaning towards C-section and they love their doctor. Yes. They just disagree with their doctor about this thing. And so they've come to you, the VBAC doula, to find out, find out some more information. How can I be more assertive in the way I speak to my doctor? What kind of things should I be looking at? What questions can you suggest that I ask my care provider um, and so on and so forth instead of painting a picture or uh, putting images in a client's head of doom and gloom and war and battlefields and and so on because that's most likely most of the time that's not true people have nuanced feelings about their um, about their care and about uh, their plans a lot of the times and, and a doula needs to be able to navigate that navigate that well and in a balanced way and i dare say that if you just look at your physician as well 
but like, and so I'm spe specifically speaking from people who have come to me already disillusioned. Well, someone said they can't force me to have a, a, a C-section. I'm like, okay, is that, if, if someone came to you and said, here's what I want to do. And you said, I don't want to do it. And they said, well, I can't do it that way. Then this is, this is the negotiation. And I'm not saying negotiate for your health. I'm saying talk about the things that are important to you. It's not about going into any relationship and saying, I won't put up with this, 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 or this. Yeah. But you can go in, and this is where talking with your clients as well, and help them define what do you want to do? What do you feel comfortable advocating for? How many steps are you comfortable doing? Because sometimes it does require going to the patient advocate. Sometimes mm -hmm. it does. Sometimes it, you are, I, I dare say, you know, in particular, my, my clients who are new Canadians or newly here or English is not their first language. I have more of those clients who do end up having to go to the patient advocate just because of, of coercion. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's some sort of assumption that it is easier. And I'm sp speaking specifically through VBAC and uh, they believe that it's, these people are going to be easier to get to the, e what they think is the easiest. Yes root mm -hmm. it should be c-section um mm -hmm. i literally had a client who was new here who had had two cesarean sections uh, not here and was here for her her birth and she had um let her doctor know that she did not want to she's planning a VBAC, so she did not want a scheduled cesarean but it kept being presented as well just in case and she kept saying well just in case what um if we're planning a vaginal birth, we wait for labor. And she was fully open to, you know, should a cesarean be required during her birth, that a cesarean was required during her birth. But she mm -hmm. didn't want to sign up with two little ones at home for another surgery that wasn't necessary. And and so she didn't show up to the C-section that her doctor insisted on booking twice, mm -hmm. even though both times she said, please don't book it, I don't, I'm waiting for labor. This doctor mm -hmm. literally came screaming down the hallway, past nurses, busted mm -hmm. into the, the room and screamed down my client. Wow. Security and another doctor came and escorted her out. And her sister- Escorted got, the doctor out? Escorted the Ooh. doctor out. Um, Whoa. Yeah. And so this, and this was a, a new Canadian and, you know, where, and she was so calm, like, this is pretty much where I got a lot of my sense of the individuality of people. She was fully calm and just looked at this woman as if she was a crazy woman. Like, I don't understand your investment in my health. My investment is in my health. I don't understand, understand your investment in my, my not showing up to a C-section that I adamantly told you I would not be but showing up to. Not, yes. And um, it, it is this type of approach if you are, you know, how do we know if a care provider is breastfeeding or brushing VBAC tolerant or VBAC supportive? One of the very first things we can go over with our clients is have they suggested booking a C-section just in case? Mm -hmm. And strangely, this is one of the best opening spots to sit down with your client and say, just in case what? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know. Great. That's going to when you go in and you never know what questions to ask your doctor in that 10 minutes you're there, that's the question you're gonna come in with. It's like, I'm, if I'm planning a vaginal birth, what is the just in case? What is the, um, what is the idea behind that? So I know whether or not it's something I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And it's bringing it back from my doctor says to here's the things I want to encourage dialogue with, with my, my doctor. And this is where, when they talk about quality of care with midwives versus quality of care with doctors, it's not about even the birth itself. It's about the way you are approached in your pregnancy, in the conversations ahead of time, in your preparation for labor. Is it paternal or is it, or, and it, sorry, is it a patriarchal, mm -hmm. paternal? That's the word. Part, yeah, patriarchal, paternal, or is it, consultive like are you consulting with them about your health are you being suggested and 
helped through something or are you being told and less than subtly being told also that questioning is not an option? Great, mm -hmm. then, but oftentimes these doctors also, they're coming from this very specific place, the culture of their space. So yes. if we are asking them to do something that's so obviously the norm for their culture of their space, we have to bring a different dynamic to that relationship in order to create it. We are as responsible for creating that, res that relationship as the physician is, as this care provider yeah. is. Now, yes, you're going, your clients are going to have times where not showing up to a cesarean is what they end up having to do. Or they might have to switch providers. Or, I mean, there's all sorts of other options other than going by the traditional route, but they might need to continue care with that physician. And so you as the doula, although you are not making any medical decisions, you can help your clients understand the information from an evidence-based perspective, from a gold standard perspective, from their own guidelines, mm -hmm. um, what the gold standard is. And you do have, quote unquote, a right to discuss that with your doctor and ask mm -hmm. why the gold standard isn't being met. But there mm -hmm. is ways to do that that encourage dialogue and don't browbeat something about someone about the head and shoulders. Yeah, I have a question that is related, but kind of not related. Are midwives allowed to see clients who are VBAC? Yes, where we are in Ontario, yes. Okay, I knew you'd know. You're up on all these things, all these rules and so on. Um, okay, so, so a person who's a VBAC is not considered high risk. No, a, not a VBAC after one cesarean. And even for somebody who has had two or three cesareans, you still don't technically risk out of care. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. midwives have agreements with the hospitals that they work with that mean they can or can't take on certain clients. So at some hospitals, midwives can take on twins. At other hospitals, they can't. So okay. don't be getting mad at the midwives if your friend is allowed to be back with one set of midwives and the other ones say you have to have it at the hospital. Mm -hmm. it, is just, it is just a part of, this is a, again, where you can help your clients explore their options. Knowing, you know, we talk about new doulas having a resource list. Know yeah. which midwives have what privileges at what yeah. hospitals. hospitals. Yeah. Some midwives can induce. Others have to transfer care or do shared care for induction. Some midwives can maintain uh, primary care with epidurals. Some hospitals still mean you get an epidural and you transfer care or end up with shared care. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that um, the hospitals at which individual midwifery practices had privileges at had the say in so many instances. I thought that that was already those guidelines are already laid out and that they were the same across the board in all the hospitals in the province i didn't know that individual hospitals yeah that's that puts a whole different cast on everything doesn't it because your clients do need to know about that if you want to be back and you want midwifery care that's something that you need to check into it is hmm. absolutely true and the same thing goes for physicians and hospitals. Know which hospitals will. So something often, again, that comes up is clients saying, well, my doctor says I can have a VBAC, but I can't. I, I can't be induced. I have to go into labor naturally. And of course, to me, I'm like, well, fucking A, wait for baby to start this labor. But there mm -hmm. are times when things like um, gestational diabetes, high blood mm -hmm. pressure, preeclampsia, mm -hmm. Things come up mm -hmm. that indicate that it will be safer for baby to be born now mm -hmm. than waiting. Mm -hmm. So you're going to want to know, again, if your mm -hmm. client is absolutely wanting every opportunity to birth vaginally and not have, have um, a cesarean, have a surgery, then it's important for you to know what the policies are at each hospital. Because, yeah, yeah. Yes, your 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 client can say no to 
a scheduled cesarean and push for an induction. But sometimes mm -hmm. it is easier to say, hey, I happen to know that over here, they will support an induction for VBAC if you can get a referral over there. Because sometimes mm -hmm. you, someone might want the experience, but don't have the emotional energy for the fight. So if we can get mm -hmm. offer them an alternative to the fight, and again, this isn't as your doula telling them to leave. It's you mm -hmm. saying, here are the options. What do you have emotional energy for? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and again, it's a matter of resources and sharing it as resources. What people rarely need is your outrage. Oh yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, and I, have, I have always thought my outrage is so valuable that everybody needs it. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently that's not the case. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really not. No, but yeah, there are times when your outrage is appropriate, necessary, and good, but it's far, far less often than you think. Yeah, it is. Like, you know, where my outrage was, was well-placed was when that doctor came storming down the hall and yeah. all of us in that room, her sister, our nurse, and I all stood mm -hmm. between her and this doctor. Mm -hmm. My outrage didn't show up as yelling and screaming. It simply showed up as us creating a safe barrier for her because of this individual. Mm -hmm. um, your outrage might very well be in that a hospital is not offering the gold standard of care, but your outrage doesn't belong in that birth, or, nor does it even belong in that relationship. It belongs in the advocacy you do. It belongs in the, your contacts at that hospital. It belongs in your questioning and your reaching out to charge nurses, reaching out to hospital staff there, reaching out to their media coordinator, reaching out to their patient relations. These, as doulas, you can do these things. You can inquire, you can ask why, you can do all those things. Just mm -hmm. don't do them and exhaust your client with your outrage. Do it with your passion. I mean, bring your passion. When, you're, when your client's making decisions they feel strongly about, you do cheer them on, you do offer support, you do lend that ear. Mm -hmm. You offer communication styles that we know and we learn in this environment, in this birthing environment. And you pass those to your clients so they can then utilize them for good communication. No different really than going to see a, a marriage counselor. These are relationships that are important. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we, we, need to, we need to be bringing passion into, into those births and passionate support of the clients into those births and, and not, your, not your outrage. Not your outrage. Um, there's lots of things that doulas can do outside of the birthing room, outside of their space with their clients to change birth culture, to fight for better birth culture. Uh, if it's not specifically about what's happening with your client at that moment, then you need to wait, wait until you get home and debrief and process. How are you more outraged about what happened than your client is outraged about your client's experience? So you can't do that, you know? You can't like spew all of your outrage guts all over um, your client's situation at that moment. Mm -mm, that's not appropriate. It really isn't. Find um, other venues. Also because should, for whatever reason, your client decide that their emotional energy needs to go in changing, altering their state of mind to create, they've chosen the RCS, they've chosen that repeat C-section now. Mm -hmm. And if you've spent your time outraging about how dare they and mm -hmm. they, you, you don't have to and all of these things, what you've missed is the opportunity to say, whatever you decide is a parenting decision. And I will support you in that parenting decision. I will yes. support you strongly and absolutely all the gold standard recommends a, but you as a parent have chosen B you're going to choose B a lot. Mm -hmm. You're in your parenting life. If you choose B, then we're going to make that the best possible B ever. But if you've only said B is shit, B mm -hmm. is giving up, B is what you were coerced into, 
then you've yeah. missed the opportunity to create a healthy birthing day for this family. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah. you've compromised your support relationship, I think. Yes. Watch your language. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what our moms used to say when we were a kid? Watch your language. Yeah. Watch your language. You've come. So if you, if you right from the beginning, if your clients hired you three months before their due date and you spent that three months railing about how horrible c-section is and how people who get them are bullied and harassed and coerced and that's just the way it is and you paint that picture to them and then they one week before their due date choose that they're going to go ahead and have a scheduled c-section for whatever reason how do you come back from that how do you come back from this this hill that you you built that you swear you're gonna die on. Now, so what do you do now? Now you look like an idiot. Now you've compromised the support relationship between you and your clients. Because how do you now say, oh yes, I will absolutely support you. So this is what you've chosen. After you've just told them that that choice is always garbage or so often garbage. Oh yeah, it's often garbage, but not you, not you. Mm, mm, too late, you've already, screwed up your integrity so i've seen it done i've seen this happen with even the jewels with the very best of intention like hyping up their client with all these things that they wanted and then something changes at the last possible minute um and i, I even had somebody recently i was chatting with this with another doula who said well you know there is a place for that doula with some families and mm -hmm. i had to disagree I had to disagree. Um, I think you can absolutely agree that the policies are shit. And it, like, if your client is just absolutely raging about the injustice, we should rage about injustice. We mm -hmm. absolutely should. And we can stand by our clients and, and agree. Mm -hmm. We can absolutely yeah. agree without alienating. And I'm not saying that. And, it, and it's, a it's a trick. And we talk about it all the time. This is how strongly we believe in this, that it is a trick. It is a, it is a way to uh, walk that fine line between alienating and, and, um, and supporting and living your own principles. Living your own principles. Because even the most diehard of people who are like, absolutely, I, I do not want this. I am not going to go for this. <laughs> At the end of the day, what we need to realize is that we are not calling all the shots here. Birth calls the shots. And if your birth says the only way for this baby to be born safely is through surgery, no, how are you gonna come, what are you gonna do acting? How are you gonna come back from acting as if we call the shots? We do not call the shots. So what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that even in a, a very specialized, almost niche situation like VBAC, we still have to maintain balance. We absolutely have to maintain balance. And I, I would also say we need to maintain some boundaries, some healthy boundaries for ourselves. It is very hard. It is, and I think with anybody probably who works specifically with one group of birthing people, one of my biggest exhaustive things, and this is why I feel so strongly about this, is when I get the call from the client, so my C-section is booked for 40 weeks. So I'm allowed to have a VBAC as long as I go in by 40 weeks. And I need to come down from that because in what situation are we planning for a birth and the C-section is booked without medical indication at 40 weeks? Or if I get to 40 weeks, I have to be induced. Mm -hmm. um, or all of all of the other things, or I'm allowed, or you know, the words allowed, I'm allowed to have a VBAC, or at 36 weeks, they'll decide if I'm allowed to have a VBAC, or something we've just been hearing a lot of lately around induction yeah. is, well, your baby's looking big. And of course, if we go back and we look at again the gold standard of healthcare for, for birthing folks, none of those things, length of pregnancy, how many babies you're carrying or size of baby are contraindicated for VBAC. Mm -hmm. They should not, they, they specifically say, 
these things should not be used as indicators for repeat cesarean. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. does say that opportunity for successful VBAC goes down with induction after 40 weeks. Not spontaneous labor after 40 weeks, but induction after 40 weeks. Mm -hmm. So differentiating those things with your client too, they won't induce because the chances go down, but the risks don't go up. So again, mm -hmm. they might be sharing success rates with you, but what they haven't shared with you is the risks. Well, do my risks mm -hmm. change? Do my baby's mm -hmm. risks change? Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. So this is again, guidance, mm -hmm. but after and first and foremost doulas, and I say this because we need you, please guard yourself. Role play with yourself, role play with another doula creating a safe space for yourself to process those feelings because it is very hard to sit and listen to coercive statements like that mm -hmm. that feel very yeah. gross. they feel gross mm -hmm. however i truly believe when i've spoken with some of these physicians um about these things they actually believe them yes and people actually believe this one was most recent i had a physician who actually believed that the rupture rate for VBAC after two cesareans was close to 20%. It's not, it's 0.7. So where did they get that 20%? Somebody from? told them. This is like the culture of things, right? You hear something and there's no reason for that other person in your field to, to lie. And so it's brought forward, it's magnified. They might've heard it's 20% with induction but it wasn't risk, it wasn't rupture, it was actually chance of success. Or, you know, it could have been a mountain of other things that created a change in opportunity. Like, you know what, it can be upwards of 20% with an inverted T that was a single suture. It can be, but that's not well-documented either. Um, so I, I encourage you to start with communication. Start with knowing how to open those lines of communication so that afterwards also you don't have clients who come and say, well, why did that happen? Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have to, as birthing folks, have to know all these things. We should have access to information that helps us make good decisions. Even mm -hmm. if those decisions are the easiest route, which is just saying, for when I say easiest route, I mean, the route where you don't have to disagree with your doctor because it matters. It matters if you're you want to stay with your doctor, you don't want to push back, but you also don't want an RCS. Help that client know how to talk with their physician. Mm -hmm. You don't have to start with the furthest thing away, which is switch care providers. Leave your doctor. Let's start with communication. And yes. when you start healing yourself of your reactions, you'll be able to offer that service. So please, I don't want any more calls where the first thing you tell somebody who's looking for a VBAC, I've heard from these people, well, they can't force me, right? No, but we don't make decisions just based on physical force. We are, we are multi-layered, multi-nuanced individuals. Yeah. And it is so much more than fighting a physical fight to not go in an OR. It is mm -hmm. embracing planning for a wonderful mm -hmm. birthing day. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. and you can do that, doulas. You can be part of that. You can be part and parcel of creating those communication lines. You can also be part and parcel of helping someone switch care providers. Um, mm. But you can't want it more than them. Yes. That's that outrage thing. That is that outrage thing. Yeah. So or your client is slightly perturbed that they didn't get the birth they wanted, but you're outraged. Mm. You need to check yourself if that's what's happening. That outrage, does, I mean, use it. If you watched coercion after coercion after coercion after half truth, use yeah. it. Write that shit down. Mm -hmm. Write a letter. Call patient relations and explain. There, yes, because there are venues for you to change birth culture, but not not right in front of your client. It's no, not her. Let her go live her life. And be satisfied with her birth experience 
And if you have seen with your experience, doula eyes, that things have not gone the way that they should have, there are there are places for you. There are venues for you to um, uh, express that and to attempt to change things, but uh, not with your client. Not with your client. No, they they need to go live their life. Yeah, a local birth trauma group. And what I mean by that is like, you can even join an advocacy group, somebody who is working to make change, somebody who is working to um, do in-service talks with physicians, someone who is working in that field already. You probably are not the only one sitting there in your city. Mm -hmm. Join Mm -hmm. ICANN, find out who's doing big work for the International Cesarean Awareness Network, who is already talking to these hospitals, who is already talking with physicians, who's already talking with midwives. There's often midwives who are trying to do this work, who are trying to even just break free from clients having to get approved for cesarean. And also for anybody who's listening here in Ontario, often what happens is you are offered, when you're with midwifery group, you are offered a consult, a VBAC consult before you have your baby. You are not required to go to that consult if you're already comfortable with your decision. Mm-hmm. And also some, some pregnant folks really need to guard their energy and not be, it, it doesn't get you permission or not permission, but sometimes you really do need to just maybe take that step and not go to a consult Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and say no, or also understanding, you know, you're, you're talking about how not all midwives have the same privileges across Ontario. Um, Sometimes understanding the relationship midwives have, you have this as a doula, understanding the relationship midwives have with um, the policymakers and the system at their hospital. Sometimes if you say no, if a client says no to their consult, it creates a stink for those midwives. So sometimes if you can go as a client and protect yourself and already know that you're comfortable with your decision, sometimes going helps take the stress off of your midwives and they're able to just do their shit. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's not a perfect system, but it's mm-hmm. the one we got. It's the one, it's the one we have. That's right. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. So take care of yourselves. Please take the terms out of your, that one term. They can't force you to have a C-section. Take it out of your vocabulary. Wipe mm-hmm. it off your V-back to-do list. Take Whatever you are doing, take it away. And mm-hmm. please go towards what can we do to have a successful birth to plan a wonderful birthing day for you? Let's move in that direction based on what you as a doula know about the policies at that hospital, the culture at that hospital, the practices at that hospital and the ones around it. So that if your, your client does choose to make a change, you're able to also guide them with that. Mm-hmm. Focus on it. Do it. Do it. Wow. That's awesome. And very well timed it's it's exactly three o'clock did you put I'm amazed by how you could just talk about VBAC just like that off the top of your head this was off the top of your head wasn't it you didn't do like extensive research and note-taking for this podcast recording did you originally yes I had an idea of what I wanted this talk to look like Mm -hmm. but truly I wanted this to be for doulas doulas I want this not just talk about VBAC in general. You can go to the Society of Subjects and Gynecology of Canada. Actually, you can't, sorry. You can't go there and get their guidelines any longer because they took Not them anymore. Yeah. Um, but you can go to the Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics and yes. you can look it up there. You can go to the Association of Ontario Midwives and, mm-hmm. and you can download the gold standard of care there. They have patient mm-hmm. handouts, like client handouts you can give to your clients. And they have all the research listed there for you. If you want to understand it, understand why things are being suggested, understand why things are coming up in certain order at certain times, you can look up that information and understand it yourself. So you can help clients understand it if they're not getting their answers. ACOG, mm-hmm. same thing. You can go to, mm-hmm. if, um, you're, if you're consulting with a client who is in the States and you're doing virtual care or anywhere else, anywhere else, everything is listed for you to look up and research. Um, and then you can make your own handouts. You can, you know, have your own consults. You can create your own content using the actual information, the actual gold standard mm-hmm. of care for these human mm-hmm. beings who are going to bring babies into the world and be mm-hmm. responsible for loving themselves and loving this baby. You have mm-hmm. that. 
at your fingertips. Yep, yep. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Stephanie Alusha Vibakdula, once again, blowing us away with all of her Vibakdula wisdom. That's amazing. And I'll add just a little bit of thing at the end there. Mm -hmm. I love family-centered, respectful, repeat cesarean sections. I love, and I have had, I'm not even going to mention who it is, but clients who have been accepted into care at two hospitals when I've made backdoor calls because they're not being respected or heard and they're being hurt mm. at other hospitals when they're, when mm -hmm. they want to plan a birthing day, but they're being mm -hmm. told that nothing that is important to them is important in the OR. They're not being consulted with, they're being patronized. They're, they're being called babies for wanting to experience their baby in the first two hours. They, yeah. so I love respectful care. I love creating a birthing day for these families. And that includes finding my way out of the pain of my own cesarean to embrace what a love-filled repeat cesarean birthing day looks like please do the same please do the same oh thank you so much um before we sign off i wanted to mention something i'm just quickly trying to oh, there pull it up a little bit i mean i don't need really any de much details but tomorrow is the day when the hearings are going to be happening for midwives to um, defend their right for equal pay or fair pay, okay? Um, for those of you who don't know the state of midwifery in Ontario, um, the midwives in Ontario sued the government basically, took their case to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario to say that midwives are not being compensated fairly and that this was based on gender discrimination. Originally, midwives' salaries were um, set alongside, in comparison with community healthcare center doctors, with it, like not as high, but with a small amount, I believe it was three or $5,000 less than what community health care providers uh, made per year. Well, since then, since midwifery was legislated in Ontario in 1994, that gap has grown to be approximately $20,000 difference. So while the salaries of doctors have increased, the salaries of midwives have not. So anyways, the midwives took this case to the Human Rights Tribunal um, based on the fact that this was unequal pay based on gender discrimination, as we all know, the profession of midwifery is dominated almost entirely and exclusively by uh, women, people who identify as women. Midwives won that case. The Human Rights Tribunal agreed with the midwives that this was the case and ordered the government that they needed to compensate midwives. They needed to start paying them fairly, number one, and also compensate them for lost pay up until a certain date. Well, our government has appealed that decision and, and they are taking midwives to court basically to protest that decision, to see if they can get that decision reversed. And tomorrow is the day when that trial is happening. So you can watch this proceeding um, live by there's a link if you can if you want to go on the association of midwives the association of ontario midwives website you can get a link there to watch those proceedings live to they're encouraging everybody to be present um in any way that you can to be present to watch those proceedings and to uh support midwives who are fighting simply for Equal pay. I mean, when you think about it, midwives, I said it today at a consult that I had this morning, midwives do the job of doctors and nurses. They do both jobs. And it's outrageous that they, um, having, I mean, I know, I know what midwives make exactly because I work for a midwife. And I also know what um, 
uh, obstetricians make. And nobody is saying that midwives should be paid the same as obstetricians. However, the pay gap is so glaring and so outrageous that it needs to be rectified. And the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario agrees. So that's happening tomorrow. So if you can't tune in, live stream that, uh, go get the link, aom.on.ca. And uh, the more voices that we have supporting midwives, the better it will be. So there you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for you. I'm teaching tonight. And um, recording in the afternoon uh, is, is a feat of strength, I tell you, because <laughs> this is my, this is my get a cup of tea and go lie down time. I fade, I start fading by two o'clock. I, and and by three o'clock I'm almost invisible and if I have to teach that night I need like a space between my morning stuff and my teaching in the evening yeah so we're lucky I'm still upright honestly what time are you teaching tonight I teach at 6 30 6 30 every Tuesday evening um but I start like preparing and getting ready by about five like I feed the dog I take her for a walk I take a shower so that by like 6 to 6 15 I am all set turn on the computer set everything up and I'm ready so yeah it takes me a while to kind of get ready for that but yeah, I need a nap <laughs> I'm a toddler <laughs> I need an afternoon when I see these toddlers at my clients' houses who are refusing to nap. I'm like, dude, do you not understand? I said this to a kid last week. Do you not understand how delicious a nap is? A nap is a beautiful thing. Nope. He said no and did a cartwheel and ran away. So, yeah. They don't know oh. what they're missing, man. They don't know what they're missing. They're not, they're not, oh, it's children, the innocence of youth. Yeah. Will you go have your tea and put your feet up for a little bit? My feet are yep. already up, and I'm going to make someone else make me a tea. This is it. Your toe got broken for a reason. That's right. That's right. But in the meantime, everyone who's listened to my judgment today <laughs> can go rate, review, and subscribe, or bitch about us to whomever is closest. But I do this because I care. So please do rate, review, yeah. subscribe, and share this with your friends. Share this with a friend. Can we just make this podcast be very, very popular? Very popular. Do it for us, please. Go get All right, everybody. Time. Take care of yourselves. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye.